like that. In life, and now it seems like in sports, we're going to go from 0 to 60. And I do mean 60. Good morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio, where you can find this show, Daily Shot, every Monday through Friday, very early in the morning, if you subscribe for free to one of our various podcast platforms, you'll have this thing waiting for you in your phone, in your car, wherever, and it'll also really help our business. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, everywhere that good podcasts are available, you can find this one. It'll help us. Not that anything you could do would put me in a better mood than where I was yesterday and into last night at PNC Park. Boy, was it wonderful to be over there. I I can't emphasize that enough. From the security people to the health check people on the way in through right field, uh, temporary security gate, having the Pirates media relations staff, uh, Jim Turdinich, Danny Hart, Brian Warecki, greet us as we're coming in. Show us all the protocols. Uh, Walk us through the various situations. Where can you go? Where can't you go? What can you do? What can't you do? The free food. You never get free food anywhere. The Pirates set up a little place where even though there's just a handful of us in the entire stadium, there'd be somewhere that we could go and grab uh, a little something to eat, bottle of water, bottle of pop, whatever it is, all in a house. Uh... Yeah, if it sounds like I'm easy to please, so be it. The real reason that I was happy to be in there was that there was baseball. The Pirates were out on the grass at PNC Park. Nothing dampened the spirits. There was uh, a a rainstorm uh, briefly that actually shoved one of the BP sessions, that's batting practice for the non-baseball among you, uh, to the indoor cages. But just seeing it out there, Uh, Seeing our skyline in the background made everything in this increasingly imperfect world seem just a little bit more right, if not outright perfect. You know what I mean? Um, I've always had a little bit of an emotional attachment to that particular structure. Uh, I, I love everything about PNC Park, its design, Uh, its intentions, its homage to the city, the way the stone on the outside is a tribute to the facade of the Allegheny County Courthouse on Grand Street downtown, the way the the windows are reminiscent of our jail, Uh, the exposed blue steel that shows our civic strength, our history. There's so much to love about PNC Park, and I I spent, you know, not to get all flowery on you here, but I, I spent fair amount of time just walking around myself, you know, staying within the, the parameters of where we were allowed to be and just looking at the place and, and going over some memories. And uh, it, it was that kind of day into that kind of night. And then, you know, what my next thought was after uh, the work was done for the day, this is all about to start. Like, wow. I mean, Today is July 8. On July 23, I'll be boarding a plane for St. Louis. On July 24, 
a Friday night at Bush Stadium. It'll be Pirates versus Cardinals, the beginning of the Pittsburgh Baseball Club's 134th season, a season like no other. That's right there. That's right. That's 16 days away. And I'm watching these sessions that were happening in front of me, sim games, uh, you know, some infield drills, some batting practice. You never really had everybody out on the field at the same time because of the Allegheny County guidelines that were put out last Friday. The Pirates are trying to comply with all of that. And as organized as you know they are under Derek Shelton and Don Kelly, you also see that they have their own disjointed feel. It's not at all like that spring training uh, machine-like feel where there's something happening on field three and something simultaneously on field two. And, oh, look, there's infield drills and bunting going on over here on field one. They'd like to get scrimmaging. They're not yet. Shelton spoke about that afterward, saying, you know, they 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 hope to get to it pretty soon, but they got to have everything aligned and make sure that they can have that many people out on the field at the same time and they're not uh, going against some kind of rules. And there you are, you're thinking, they are going to play for real baseball in a very short period of time. And then, once they get started... 60 games, they're going to go from zero of nothing for four months to 60 games, boom, like that. That, my friends, is going to fly by so quickly. If you think about a regular baseball season, if you think about when, uh, let's say, Josh Bell had that monster May last year. Remember when we were all digging up the record books and finding out the last time someone hit like that, and we kept referencing Willie Stargell again and again and again and again. Not that we were making a career comparison. We were just looking for numbers that matched what he was doing. It was one magnificent month. Did it feel like an extended period of the year? No. It was one out of six months. This is going to happen so fast. And as a result... All appropriate cliches apply, every last one of them. Anyone can get hot. Anyone can, of course, also get ice cold. Are the Pirates wired to actually get hot and to actually compete within the National League Central? I don't have that answer, but I do know that it's possible. Here's what Stephen Brault had to say about it after his workout yesterday. I think it sets up pretty well. I, I think that, you know, everybody talks about since it's a shorter season, kind of anything can happen. Everybody has good 60-game stretches. Everybody has bad 60-game stretches. But the way that we're looking at it and the way that we're approaching it is, I think, really smart, is that imagine if we were at this point in a regular season and it was we were 100 and, you know, what is 100 games into a season, right? So playing 60. And every single team was tied. We had 30 teams tied for the exact same record with 60 games left. It would be a crazy end of the season. Um, and there's so much that can happen in such a short amount of time. But also, it's 60 games. I mean, you have enough time. If you go on a little bit of a rough streak, you still have enough time to bring it back. So uh, we're really excited because, you know, it's a kind of a fun idea. Like, just imagine 100, 100 games into the season, everybody's tied. It'd be insane. So 
you know, that's kind of how we're, we're approaching it. Like, it's a 60-game playoff race sprint from the get-go. You heard the man. He used the words crazy, insane. That's how this is going to feel. Every game that they play, starting with those three in St. Louis and then continuing with the next three back here at home against the Brewers, are going to feel, in the competitive context, like life and death. If they get far behind, it's going to feel the way it would in a normal, let's say, August, two-thirds of the way into the season, if you had a really bad series or went on a losing streak of some sort. But on the other hand, as Brault was suggesting, if you get a little bit hot, just a little bit, if you get off to a good start, heck, if you're the Pirates, and if you've seen this statistic, this really applies here. The Pirates have one of the hardest opening month schedules in all of Major League Baseball because they face a really steady diet of the best teams in their division and in the AL Central, the other division against which they're going to be competing. And that, of course, means the Cardinals, the Brewers, and over there, the Twins and the Indians. The Twins, of course, won 101 games last year, for those of you who don't follow the American League. They're going to be in for a challenge, but let's say that they meet that challenge. Heck, let's just say that they keep their heads above water through that opening month and change. And then they're looking at a stretch drive. They're feeling confident about themselves. They're not feeling like the plucky little underdog. Uh, Even though they won't have crowds, there's no way they won't feel the city getting behind them. And don't pretend that you won't. Seriously, I, I, I just, in one ear and out the other with anybody who says, ah, oh, they've lost me forever. You wouldn't even be listening to this right now if they'd lost you forever. And you know this. If the Pirates get hot and carry that and have that public sentiment behind them, heading into a final month in which they face a steady diet of Royals and Tigers and all kinds of other badness, Yeah, they can do this. I'm going to keep bringing this up, but the Las Vegas oddsmakers have the best team in baseball as being the Los Angeles Dodgers with 37 wins. The watermark is 30. The Pirates last year were 29 and 31. They were just a game under 500 through 90 games. This is doable. This is not me making a prediction. This is not me going out on a limb or whatever. This is me stating an actual fact that this is eminently doable. The Pirates have talent. They do. They have potential. They have some upside. They have some ceiling to the players that are at hand. It gets a little muddy when you start getting into the the individuals. Can Brian Reynolds be realistically better than he was last year. He thinks he can, but the statistics would kind of say the Pirates would be extremely fortunate if he was just exactly that good. Same thing goes for Kevin Newman. Same thing could arguably be said of Josh Bell, although he can obviously defend a lot better at first base. Mitch Keller has upside in the rotation. Nick Birdie has upside in the bullpen. It's a team that has some talent. It has some guys who can rise up. I haven't even mentioned Cole Tucker, Kebrian Hayes. If they can find a way to break into that lineup to become part of uh, Shelton's network of 
trust, if you will. If he can put faith in those guys to go out there, if they can show that they can contribute, it's a team that can do this. If only because this is going to be so fast. When we come back, more ball. baseball season, even one that's going to start in late July. I like to find a player that I identify as a breakout. I started this, I am very proud to tell you, with Nate Clough a long time ago. I picked him as a breakout player for the year. Got a lot of laughter and so forth. you got to be kidding me. This, this little guy, he's not going to do anything. And Nathan went on to some pretty big things right off the bat with the Pirates, and I stuck with that as a as a tradition, if you will, entering every season. And my guy this year is going to be somebody who arguably has already kind of broken out. The difference is nobody noticed. And even after I lay out for you what he did last season, I strongly suspect you're not going to care. This is Jacob Stallings. Jacob Stallings is going to be labeled in Pittsburgh for a while as that fourth or fifth string catcher who came up and had his extremely unpopular dad, Kevin Stallings, the former uh, and disgraced Pitt basketball coach, sitting out in the stands and paying way more attention in hindsight to how his son was doing at PNC Park than to how his hoops team was doing over at the Pete. And we thought of Jacob Stallings as just, you know, whatever, just some minor league guy. And even when he got his first big league hit, it was no big deal. You look at him, he looks a little gangly the way he's uh, running the bases. He doesn't have that true stocky catcher's build. He doesn't look like Russell Martin. He doesn't look like Francisco Cervelli. Uh, he doesn't look the way we think of catcher's. This guy, last year, hit 262 with six homers in less than 200 at-bats. The reason I tell you this is not to predict that he's the next Johnny Bench. He's not. Uh, he's not going to be a great hitting catcher. He's not going to be the kind of hitting catcher that the Pirates had in Martin, not the kind they had in Cervelli. But his defensive numbers from last season were so superlative that I don't think people have really processed how good he was, in large part because almost all of his performance occurred while the team was utterly nosediving, when we couldn't stand to look at the pitching, when we couldn't stand to look at the team. It was so bad. But through all this, Stallings' performance was so outstanding behind the plate and so steady that the people within baseball, the coaches, the ones who see everything, the analytics people, the ones who measure everything, couldn't take their eyes off of him. They couldn't take their eyes off of what he was doing back there. Not just 
the stuff that we generally associate with catchers and evaluating their defense, uh, you know, the old school is just how many runners they threw out. How many pass balls did they allow? And that was pretty much the end of it. Oh, good defensive catcher, bad defensive catcher. Now there's pitch framing. I mean, roll your eyes at this if you're way too old school for this if you want. That's fine. The fact of the matter is pitch framing matters, and it matters a lot. A catcher can buy his pitcher strikes. A catcher can buy his pitcher the confidence of the umpire behind him and win that umpire over for the duration of the game and change the way the whole game is played. So there's a greater valuation on that skill than there's ever been in this sport. Stallings was, I'm going to state this with emphasis, number one in baseball at this. No one was better. Not in the National League, not in the American League. He was the best at it. As such, his defensive metrics overall went through the roof. I was casually glancing through some projection models for the 2020 season. Believe it or not, I mean, this is the way baseball geeks are. They have them already for the 60-game season. Zips models, steamer, there's a zillion different names for it, a zillion different people who produce these. The ones that are generally considered the most reliable are the ones at Fangraphs. And I went and I looked at the Pirates' projections for 2020. And for those of you familiar with the, the war statistic, meaning wins above replacement player, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. How much better is this player in his overall value over just a casual replacement that would come in and take his job? You know, someone you would bring up, run-of-the-mill, somebody up from AAA. How much better is that player than someone else? The highest rating, the highest war rating for 2020 on the Pirates roster was Jacob Stallings. Just a hair over Josh Bell, because Josh Bell obviously produces a ton of offense. He certainly did last season, even though he tailed off toward the end and then ended up on the shelf. He still ended up with 37 homers, 116 RBIs. And Stallings was still ahead of him on this list because that's how much they value the defense that he brings. Now, add on to that what the pitchers have told me and the way they were just singing about him, especially in Bradenton when we talked uh, with, let's say, Joe Musgrove, Mitch Keller, Trevor Williams, uh, Chris Archer back when it looked like he was still going to be in the rotation. These guys were telling me that he's a game changer back there, not just with the pitch framing, but with his ability to understand and read the pitchers, to read batter swings, to call the game intelligently. He does not have, as some catchers do, the game getting called for him from the dugout. He takes control of the game. He takes pride in that. And as I've joked with Jacob himself, I said, you know, hey, it's almost like you're a coach's son or something. Actually, he laughs at that, which is, it's okay. It's, it's okay to bring up Kevin Stallings to Jacob Stallings. <laughs> He's unbelievably bright. Not for a professional athlete. Sometimes you hear that, you know, ah, he's saying that in the athlete context. No, he's just unbelievably bright. He really is. And if you can get him to hit just like he did last year, not even necessarily an improvement, although he seems to feel, uh, and he's made this point with me rather strenuously, that there's a lot more in there offensively. 
I don't know about that. I mean, he's he's not a kid. But if he can just hit what he did last year, 262, some pop, some power, just, you know, hit some line drive somewhere. It doesn't even matter if it clears a fence, although, again, he surprisingly did that a half dozen times last year. If he can just not be a liability in the bottom of the order, because the Pirates are already going to have one of those in Gerard Dyson at the very bottom, then he actually is going to be a very valuable piece. And when it happens, assuming anybody's watching or anybody's paying closer attention than they might have to him last year, he's going to seem like the breakout player of 2020 for the Pirates, even if, in fact, this already happened in 2019. One of many, many things I'm looking forward to in this 2020 season. At 3 o'clock today, Jeff Hartman will be along with Back Through the Tunnel. It's a good show. Give it a listen. He has a different member of our staff on every day. They stay on one subject all the way through. They ride it just as you're making your ride home from work. Thank you so much for listening. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.